Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today we're going to continue our series through the book of Psalms, looking at Psalm 19 in the sky and the scriptures. Would you please join me now in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word that's that's living and active. It's able to penetrate into our hearts, into our minds, as you show us the truth about not only who you are, but also all that you've done for us in Christ. As we look at this great text today, Lord, we're, we're about to discover both how you reveal yourself through the world in which we live, how you uphold it, how you sustain it, how you govern us, but how you specifically reveal yourself in the Bible, the Word of God. So Lord, help us as we look at this text to both understand the world around us the world that you've made, that you uphold, but also the word in which you specifically have given to us and how it is enough for us. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it is sufficient for our life, sufficient for our godliness. Help us know, Lord, as we open your word to learn, to grow as you've revealed yourself in Christ, in the revealed word, in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 begins this way. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out, uh, day to day, uh, pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and dripping the drippings of the honeycomb. Whereby them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the reading of God's word. One of the very first things that we learn as we open the Bible is that God talks 
He is a speaking God. Genesis 1.3 says, And God said, Let there be light. You see, God is not silent. He talks to us. We're living in a time when we have to be, let's be honest, we have to be extremely, extremely clear about how God talks. Psalm 19 describes how God communicates with human beings. The the fact, the first half of Psalm 19 teaches us that God speaks through nature. We call this general revelation. The heavens reveal God's glory. This is This is, as I said, what we call general revelation. God reveals his power, his greatness through nature to all people everywhere. And the second half of Psalm 19, it tells us that God speaks through his word, the Bible. This is special revelation. God speaks to anyone who picks up and reads the words of the Bible. You want to know how you want to know God? The only way to know God is to know him as he's revealed in his word. What Psalm 19 is going to teach us is that that God speaks to us through the skies and through the scripture. The message of Psalm 19 is that the glory of God displayed in the heavens points us to the grace of God displayed in the Bible. You see, we, we we can appreciate, what we'll discover in this psalm is that we can discover, we can appreciate and enjoy the beauty of the world in which God created us, but we can do so only because he specifically revealed himself in the Bible. See, we have to be really clear about this today because we have people on one hand who want to do away with Genesis, and we have people on the other hand who say that they can hear from God outside of the Bible. No, to both. God, creation, that that we can know the creation, we can enjoy the creation that the Lord made, but we come to that understanding by reading and studying the Bible. Now, we also need to say that Psalm 19 doesn't stand alone like a tree in the midst of a field. If it's the context of the surrounding Psalms, the theme of Psalm 3 through 14 seems to be that God's king is rejected by man. Psalms 15 through 24 teach that the king is accepted by God. David's closing prayer in Psalm 19.14 places this psalm in a larger context, saying this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You see, the king is accepted by God because he hears God's voice in the skies, in the scripture, and he obeys the word of the Lord. And so to develop this thought, we need to notice that Psalm 19 is closely related to Psalm 18 before it. One of the names... For God is my rock. It occurs three times in Psalm 18. And David starts this Psalm 18, verse 2, by saying, The Lord is my rock. And then he repeats that name two more times and important transition points in Psalm 18:31 and in Psalm 18:46. Psalm 19 ends with this same name for God. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer in Psalm 19:14. And David also calls himself God's servant twice in Psalm. 19 in Psalm 19:11 and 13. And this is significant because David is called the servant of the Lord only two places in the Old Testament. And those places are Psalm 18 and Psalm 36. And there are still yet more connections we need to notice between Psalms 18 and 19. Both celebrate God's power in the heavens in Psalm 18, 9 through 15 and Psalm 
19, 1 through 16. So, excuse me, Psalm 19, 1 through 6. Both celebrate the perfection of the word of God. Both celebrate the blessings of keeping and obeying his commandments. In fact, there is a great reward for those who keep and obey the word of God. And so the two main points of Psalm 19, the glory of God in the sky and the grace of God revealed in the scriptures actually starts in Psalm 18. And both Psalms focus on the blameless perfection, or we could say the sinlessness of Jesus Christ, God's servants. In Psalm 18, David speaks for Christ as he looks back on his life and says, I was blameless before God in Psalm 18.23. And again, in Psalm 18.32, God made my way blameless. In Psalm 19, David asks God to keep him from willful sins that he will be blameless in Psalm 19.13. And so Psalm 19 is looking forward. It's asking for the blameless life described in Psalm 18. In fact, we all see the glory of God in the sky. One of my favorite things to do is, is to go, my, my office is, it, it, it's, it's downstairs in my house. And one of my favorite things to do is to go upstairs, especially when it's a clear day, and go up to the master bedroom and to look out. Uh, we live on a hill, and so we can look out, I look, can look out over the, the 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 whole valley in which we live and it's and it's wonderful especially on a beautiful day there it's just it's wonderful and it gives me an opportunity to pause and to give thanks to the god to the lord that he is good he made all of this he's sustaining it he's 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 created it he's made it he's sustaining it he's created and sustained me. And it's just an opportunity for me to pause, to reflect, and to give thanks to the Lord. And then to give thanks for all the, the many good things, even the hard things in my life. And it's just incredibly helpful. We have the word of God in the scriptures. We, we ought to obey them perfectly, but we don't. Jesus was the only one who did. Jesus is the great servant who is blameless and innocent of great transgression, as Psalm 19.13 says. He could appeal to God with complete confidence and say what Psalm 19.12 says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. The words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart were acceptable in the sight of God. Psalm 19 is a window into the heart of our King, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit inspired Psalm 19 so you could strengthen your heart in Christ today and learn to obey him as revealed in the word of God. In fact, you need to see God's glory in the heavens yourself. You need to love his word. This is the example Jesus left so you could follow in his footsteps. The sky and the scriptures teach God's servant to obey him. And David opens up Psalm 19 saying this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Creation has a message for us who notice and think about what they see every day. God has surrounded His world with a giant Omnimax screen running a full-length feature on an endless loop. And any time you lift up your eyes, you see the glory of God revealed in the sky. I mean, there's few things that are more beautiful, in my estimation, than a beautiful sunset. We have them here in Southern Oregon. In, in Southern California, when my wife and I lived there, 
We would go on walks at night, and I would purposely get up a little bit earlier to go on a short, brief walk just to see the, the beauty of the sunrise. It, it is, it is jaw-droppingly beautiful. On February 27th, 2013, a team of astronomers published data on a supermassive black hole at the center of galaxy NGC 1365. Based on data from the two X-ray telescopes, they calculated that the black hole was 3 million kilometers across and its outer edges were spinning near the speed of light. The pull of a black hole this size is so powerful, it can disrupt an entire galaxy. How much more powerful is the God who created the world and upholds it. We, we should be impressed when we see the power and the majesty of God in the universe he's made. The, the word glory has the sense of being weighty or important. Glory is that asset which makes people or even individuals and even objects impressive. God has revealed how important he is to the glory of his creation. Every, every human being sees this display of God's glory. The skies above are a constant and a consistent witness across time. Psalm 19.2 says, day by day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Literally every, every day gushes out speech like a fire hydrant. Where one day leaves off, the next day picks up. And, and where the day ends, the night takes over. Day and night, the witness of God's glory has been constant since the beginning of time. And this witness is constant and it spans the globe. Psalm 19.3 through 4 says, There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their, their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Language and culture are not a barrier. Distance is not a barrier. The voice of the heavens reaches the farthest corners of the globe. As a woman in New Guinea looks up and sees the Southern Cross, a man in Finland looks up and sees the Big Dipper. Men and women in every age and at every time and in every place have seen the glory of God in the heavens. And as Romans 1 says, the problem is, if they're outside of Christ, they, they worship what is seen and revealed. In creation, instead of submitting to specifically to Christ as revealed in the scripture. That 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 is why today we, we need to be so clear that the only way to know God is as revealed in the Word of God. It's not enough to know God in nature, it's not enough to see his handiwork. This should lead us to give praise and, and to repent and to turn and trust in Christ. In fact, that's the only way that we can have a right and, and good view of science. Science is under attack today because you have people who say, you know what? We don't need the Bible. We don't need Genesis. But if you undercut Genesis, you have a problem. If you think that Genesis is, is not literal and just figurative or a myth or a fairy tale, you have a problem. Guess what? You don't believe the Bible. Because Moses is not being figurative. He's being, telling a narrative. He's telling a story about how God created the world and sustained it. He's tell, telling the story about real people who really lived in real history. The problem is, is we are sinners by nature and by choice. And we don't want to believe. We don't want to submit to the word of the Lord as revealed in the Bible. 
And David gives a case point to illustrate his point. Psalm 19, 4 through 6 says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and, set, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Is there anyone who doesn't like the light of the sun? It shines on every corner of the globe with such power that we can't even look at it. The earth receives 120,000 terawatts of energy from the sun every day. How much is that? Well, picture with me Niagara Falls falling, flowing at full force. And now multiply the, the height of the falls by 20, a kilometer of falling water. Now multiply the flow by 10 instead of 30 tons of water falling over each meter of the falls every second. Picture 300 tons of water per meter. And finally, widen the falls, stretch them until they span a continent with trillions of tons of water falling on them every second of every day. And don't stop there, widen them until they stretch all around the equator. A kilometer high wall of water thundering down incessantly, cutting the world in half. That is what 120,000 terawatts looks like. That is what the sun is doing, constantly pouring out on our planet and God created it. If you're a Christian, God has surrounded you with a hymn book. Wherever you are, day or night, you can look up and you can see the majesty and the power of God, and that should lead you, as I mentioned earlier, to praise the Lord. If you're not a Christian, you are responsible for what the skies above have been telling you since the day you were born. You ought to worship God and not yourself. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1.20, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, and so they are without excuse. You may say to yourself, I don't hear creation telling me about God. I don't hear the voice of God in creation. But I want you to think about it this way. If you shout at someone standing five feet away from you, and he doesn't respond. He, he is either deaf or he's ignoring you. If you don't see God's glory in the universe that he made, you need the courage to, and honesty to ask yourself, could I be that deaf? Or could it be that I'm ignoring God? Could it be that I'm turning my back on God? Because scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky eloquently declares God's glory, but we cannot truly know God without the clarity of the scriptures. See, general revelation by itself, without the specific revelation of God's word, is no good to us. They go together. They fit together perfectly. One leads to the other. We, we know God because he's revealed himself in the scripture. And the scripture tells us that God creates God sustains, God governs, God upholds us, God created life, and on and on. But we can't know that without the clarity of the scripture. We can see the power of God by looking at the universe he created, but we can only know him personally through his written word. If you go to the Gilchrist Museum in Tulsa, you can spend hours enjoying Friedrich Remington's bronzes as a sculptor. He catches a horse floating in mid-gallop with its mane whipping in the wind. You can feel the weariness of his mountain man leaning back in the saddle. He catches the energy of four young cowhands in coming through the rye. 
All this is enough to convince you that Remington was a real master, but it doesn't tell you anything about Remington as a man. What kind of man is he? Where was he born? What's his middle name? What's his last, you know, his last name even? In the same way we can see the glory of God in the universe, his power, his majesty, his wisdom, but we cannot know him personally unless we know him as he's revealed in his word. Now, God's name is mentioned only once in the first half of the of this Psalm 19 here. David uses the general name El in verse 1. In the second half of the psalm, David uses God's name Yahweh six times in verses 7 through 9 and a seventh time in verse 14. God's name Yahweh is connected with his covenant and with his redeeming people. God revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh at the burning bush in Exodus 3.14 when he came to save Israel from save Israel from the Egyptians. By shifting the name Yahweh, David is saying that while the heavens teach us there is a glorious creator, the scriptures introduce us to God as the Redeemer. Verses 7 through 9 describe the perfections of the Word of God and its effect on us as his people. The five synonyms for those scriptures in these verses also occur in the opening verses of Psalm 119 in the same order, law, testimony, precepts, commandments, and rules. First, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. In verse 7, the word law is the Hebrew word Torah. It refers specifically to the law of Moses, but here it refers to all the scripture. God's word is perfect. It's complete. It's blameless and without blemish. There is nothing missing from the word of God. It is completely sufficient. It is for our life and for our godliness and for every stage of our life. There is not the slightest error in God's word. It's wholly true in every minute detail. God's perfect word brings life to the human heart, verse 7 says, reviving the soul. There is breath to this expression. On the one hand, the scripture converts us. God uses his word to give us life when we're dead in our trespasses and sin, restoring us and returning us to our creator. This, this phrase, reviving the soul, it's also used for food that restores strength and vitality. And there is the sense here that the law of the Lord is our spiritual food. And this is true of Jesus. When he was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted the scripture. Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The scriptures were bread and meat for Christ. And the scriptures are bread and meat for Christians. God's word is our life. God's word also teaches in verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word simple doesn't mean a fool, but someone who is uninstructed. The Bible makes us wise, and it teaches us about how we're to live. You see, the Bible tells us what a biblical worldview is, and then how to live from that world view. Let's see the precepts of the Lord, verse 8 says, are right, rejoicing the heart. Notice the progression here. God makes us alive through his word. He makes us wise and he makes us glad. And to joy is added the discernment in verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Without God's word, we are in the dark. We are going to stumble through life, walking into walls, falling into one ditch and into another. With the light of the word of God, we see ourselves rightly, who we are in light, who God is, his perfect holiness, his majesty, 
And then we can see the world rightly as a result because he has revealed himself in the word. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In verse 9, David shifts to focus on the relationship between God and his people, saying this, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the word clean often has a sense of being ritually pure. Verse 9 says the fear of the Lord is, the, 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 yeah, the fear of the Lord purifies the people of God. This lasting blessing endures forever, qualifying us to be in his presence for all eternity. Those who are made alive and made wise by God's word learn to fear the Lord. Our instinct as sinners by nature and by choice is to domesticate God, to make him manageable, to tame him. People do that today. But the Bible teaches us that God is, is a genuinely frightening God. When Isaiah saw the Lord seated on his throne with the train of his robe filling the temple, he cried out in Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. When the apostle John saw the risen Christ in his glory, his knees buckled, and he fell at his feet as though dead, Revelation 1, 17 says. The great prophets and the apostles were terrified when they came face to face with the living God. God is truly fearsome but he's also amazingly good. If you know the God of the Bible, you love him and you serve him with deep respect and reverence. You cannot play games with the Lord God of Israel. His glory is overwhelming. He takes your breath away. He's truly amazing and awesome. And David ends this section in verse nine saying with the final word, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. After rehearsing these six perfections in the Word of God, it's no wonder that David sings about the priceless value of the Word of God. In verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. God's, God's Word is the greatest treasure for those who love Him. We who love the Bible more than, than we love money, more than fine gold, God's Word is our greatest treasure pleasure sweet honey it represents the pleasure of the senses the finest tasting food the best smelling perfume the most fashionable clothes the fastest cars the best new songs the bible is better than them all let me ask you a question do you really feel that way christian do you love the bible do you treasure the bible if you know god's word his word will be your treasure and your delights the final four Verses focus on our attention, on the obedience of God's servant. He has seen the glory of God. He treasures the word of God. He obeys the word of the Lord. Psalm 119, 11 through 12 says, Wherever by them God's rules is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from the hidden faults. David's not asking God here to forgive his sin. Forgiveness is not mentioned in these verses at all. David is asking God to review his inner life and declare him innocent. As God examines him, a fair review of the evidence will lead to his acquittal. And yet none of us can say that. Our secret sins are no secret to God. Only Jesus Christ alone obeyed God faithfully in the depths of his heart as a prophet, though David spoke for Jesus. And if we have hidden sins, and we do, we need a Savior like the Lord Jesus who obeyed with every thought, with every glance of his eyes. He can forgive our sin and teach us to obey God from the heart. 
God's servant is also innocent of intentional sins. And it, it would be nice if we could say that our sins are all just accidents or even that there's brokenness. You know, we didn't really mean mean it, but our sin mean to sin means to miss the mark. It means to be satisfied by something other than God. We decide to sin more often than we care to admit. David refers to these willful sins in Psalm 19, verse 13. Keep back your servant from also, also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And David appeals to God for the strength to obey. He asks God to be blameless in verse 13. And as a prophet, David is speaking for Christ. Jesus was fully God, fully man, a human being like you and me. As a man, he prayed to the Father for the strength to not sin during his earthly life. In fact, the triumphant words of Psalm 1832 tell us that this prayer was answered. God made me my way blameless. And the word blameless in Psalm 1913 is the same word that describes God's word in Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's blameless. In other words, a servant in Psalm 19 has the same blameless, complete, perfect character as the word of God itself. Jesus is, in fact, the word of God incarnate, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, Hebrews 1.3 tells us. And after speaking through the law and the prophets, God spoke his final word through his son, Jesus. Psalm 19 anticipates this stunning reality as the servant shares the same blameless character as the word of God. Psalm 19 ends with the, the servant's closing prayer in Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is sinless. And since he was innocent, he could die for sinners like you and me. And God accepted the sacrifice of his son on that basis. God vindicated Jesus and declared he is innocent by raising him from the dead. This also means something. And we have to be very clear about it in our day. Especially with the rise of New Age, especially with the rise of Eastern mysticism and all those things, especially because we're living in a time when the majority of the population believes that they can be saved through these means. The only way to be forgiven of your sin is not through the New Age. It's not through Eastern mysticism. It's not through the Enneagram. It's not through yoga. It's not through anything else. The only way to be saved is through the person and the work of Christ. You see, the sky and the scripture teach God's servant to obey him. The, the skies and the scripture points to Christ, the only God-man in Jesus who truly obeyed God completely and utterly. So, the only way to know God is through to, is to know him as he is revealed in the word of God. The word of God is sufficient. It's for our life. It's for our godliness. It's for our faith. It's for our practice. Today, friend, 
The Word of God is sufficient for your life. It's for it's sufficient for your practice. It's sufficient to teach you all that you need to know about life and godliness in this fallen world that we live in. And it's sufficient enough to give you a lens through which to rightly view the world. And it's sufficient to help you to point you personally and then to point other people to Christ. It's sufficient enough to teach us about about gender and sexuality and ethics and morality. God gave us his word to teach us these things. But above all, I need to say this. God gave us his word to reveal the person and the work of a sufficient Savior. You see, you can look out in nature. You can enjoy the the creation that God gave. You can give thanks to God. But if you worship the nature that God made, you you are sinning. You are sinning. You can go out on the boat, you can enjoy that fishing, and you can give thanks to God for the fish. But you can't worship God. You can't worship the fish. You can't worship the boats. You can't worship the creation and the hobbies that you enjoy above and in place of God. When you worship whatever you worship above God, that's that's sin. That's rebellion against God. But that also means something. Let's say you play golf on Sunday and you skip out on church. You're sinning. Hebrews 10 tells us that we are, that we are not to forsake the fellowship of the believers. If you're sick, it's okay to stay home. What's not okay is for you to stay home for the rest of your life. There's a difference. It's acceptable to stay home if you're sick, to watch online. That way you're not going to get sick. That's courteous. That's acceptable. But it's sin in the eyes of God to miss church for the rest of your life, to never go back. Because we're not to, we were saved for a purpose. We were made for community. Even our world today recognizes the need on mental health issues. They recognize the need for people with memory issues to have community. And that's so important because guess what? We are living in a time when people are starved for truth and they're seeking for truth. They're starving for it. They're going after it headlong because Ecclesiastes 3.11 very clearly says that God set eternity on our hearts We are hungry for the truth. Problem is, is where are you seeking it? Are you seeking it in the nature and in the creation that God made and placing the creation at the level of worship? And so you minimize the Bible? Or are you understanding the creation as revealed by God and giving thanks to God for the world that he made, because you know God as revealed in the word of God, and you know the person and work of Christ. There's a difference. One says, hey, I know God as he's revealed in the word of God. The other says, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I just want to feel good. I just want to be happy. 
let me be clear, the way uh, that the world defines happiness leads one place. It leads to hell. A place of unending, unrelenting, conscious punishment. The way of real happiness, the way of real joy is not that way. The way of real joy, the way to be really satisfied in life, is to be found by the Savior who goes, John 10 says, after the one lost sheep. He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one lost sheep. Jesus came, Luke 19.10 says, to seek and to save the lost. He came to rescue the lost. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. The only way we can know that is revealed in the Bible. The only way that you can hear the voice of God is to read, open the Bible, to read the Bible. The only way to hear God's voice out loud is to read the Bible out loud. That's how God speaks today. That's the way we can know God. That's the way our life can be conformed to godliness. That's the way we can be a witness in a world that desperately needs us to be, to not only understand that our, it's, it's, the Bible is for our faith, but it's for our godliness. It's for our faith, and it's for our practice. It informs our decisions because it shapes us. It molds us. It helps us to become more like the Lord Jesus. That's what is so amazing about this Psalm 19. It shows us not only how to, to, to see the world, but gives us the prism through which to see it. It not only gives us the worldview by which we can understand the world around us, but it helps us to see that world through the word of God. So we don't look to the skies for our salvation. We look to the Lord of glory who came under the sentence of death to pay the penalty that we justly deserve for our sins to be buried and rise again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself in the word of God and that scripture is enough for us. It teaches us about life and godliness. It teaches us all things that we need to know, that our faith might be informed by the scriptures, which might impact our practice. Lord, help us and forgive us. We repent and we confess of the many ways in which we fail in this regard. We humble ourselves before you. and We ask for your help, the help of your son. He's the only one that's, that, was, that ever fully obeyed God. And it's because of you, Lord, that we can be forgiven. As Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, you understand our weakness in every way because you bore it for us and you can sympathize with us in it. And so we come boldly before the throne of grace and we cast ourselves upon the perfect righteousness of our King and our Savior and our High Priest. And we are so thankful for the perfect spotless righteousness 
of Jesus Christ in our place and for our sin. We are so thankful for the resurrection of our King, and we eagerly long and we look forward to the day of your return. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.